Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, send it in to podcast at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join the Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're excited because today's episode is really fun with a return guest, my dear friend, Kelly Scott. But before we hop into that, this week was an exciting week because it was enrollment for my Paleo Women Lifestyle Program. If you signed up, congratulations. Welcome to the best group program ever. But seriously, all women who are interested in health and wellness need to go through this program. I don't think people realize how much we go over in that program because we cover all the surface level stuff like nutrition and macros and exercise and building balanced meals and sleep and stress and all of that. But then we talk about all the emotional things, mindset shifts, body image and sexuality and manifesting in everything in your life that you want to manifest in and how to deal with frustrating people in relationships and situations in your life. And we talk about all of those taboo topics in a safe way. So you have an outlet to rant about things, to ask questions about things, to talk about things that none of your friends want to talk about with you. It's all right there in the group. So I'm super excited to welcome in this new group of women into the program. And I'm going to offer a special little deal for anyone who's listening to the podcast because technically enrollment is over, but I'm going to open up another five spots. If you email me and tell me you heard this in the podcast, you can still get in because I had a few people asking me, they missed the enrollment and they still want in. So I'm going to open up five spots for people who listen to the podcast only. So email me, tell me, listen to the podcast and I'll let you in. You can email me at Christina at ChristinaRiceWellness.com and I'll get you hooked up. Because if you are missing out on being part of the Paleo Women Lifestyle Program, whether or not you are paleo or want to be paleo, then you're just missing out on reaching a whole new level of excellence in your health, in your life, in your mindset, in your relationships, in your career. All of these things are interrelated. All of the choices we make in our lives are interconnected. And you will learn all about that in the program, as well as, of course, how all of the systems in the body are connected. We are intricate humans, us women, so it's important to understand what makes us different and how to account for that so we feel our best inside and out. If you listen to this podcast regularly, then you are obviously a growth-minded individual. You're obviously passionate about health and wellness. I probably resonate with you in the way I communicate things, which means that this program is what you need. So you can go to bit.ly slash paleo women lifestyle to learn more. You could sign up for the self-study version on there, or you can email me and let me know if you want to join in on the group program this round. I only run this two to three times a year. It's probably going to be twice this year. 
and the price increases every time as the group gets bigger we have we let less and less ladies in so that i can pay attention to everyone get to know everyone so that's the sitch very very excited for the group to start on monday also if anyone listening is local to san diego and is interested in having an in-person reiki session with me let me know email me go to my website and book a session i am doing a huge discount for the next few months so anyone who books a reiki session with me in person in march april or may is going to get a huge discount it's more than half off the regular price just so that you can come in and experience what it's like because I don't do just traditional Reiki. I also do intuitive work and I know many people have never really experienced anything like it or how transformative it can be and I definitely recommend reading my blog post about what Reiki healing is but when I work with clients it's really a more holistic approach and I don't just do Reiki like I mentioned. I do the intuitive portion which a lot of other people haven't experienced before and is really it's really incredible and that's part of why I think it could be so healing and I know you've probably heard some of my other podcasts you have talked about what it's like doing Reiki with me um and I want you guys to experience it too so if you are local to San Diego and interested shoot me an email at christina at christinaricewellness.com or just go to my website christinaricewellness.com under services and apply to book a session and I'll let you know what the discount is what the deal is and we can find a time for you to come in I'm super excited to be seeing people in person this is like my jam right now And I'm happy I finally got an office in San Diego. So I would love to meet you if you're in the area. Why not? Trust me. You only have many things to gain from trying Reiki. Only things to gain. What else is new with me? I'm sitting here drinking some bone broth. If you follow me on social media, you know I'm doing a seven-day bone broth cleanse, which is not your typical cleanse. It basically means eat as much paleo food as I want plus two pouches of bone broth a day, which I'm all about. And I haven't really put bone broth into my routine systematically like this in a while. I just kind of drink it usually when I want. So I think it's a good reset for me to be like, okay, two pouches a day, let's do this. Bone broth is amazing for the gut. So I'm super excited. Right now I'm drinking the Revive by Oh So Good. It's really delicious. This is not a sponsored ad, but I'm just saying what I'm doing. And if you do want to get their bone broth, because I love their bone broth, my code CRW will get you $15 off. Um, But yeah, hashtag not sponsored. But you know what I am sponsored by that I want to talk to you about is one of my favorite products, Clear Stem Skincare. You guys, this is no joke. And in the last week, I have developed just an even greater passion for clear stem so i finally got in to see danielle who's one of the founders of clear stem clear stem is founded by my friend kaylee and her partner danielle and i finally went in to see danielle who runs the san diego acne clinic in la jolla which if you're in san diego uh you need you need to go see her i have no words for how incredible this was i'm at this point in my life where like i don't like to get facials just to get facials I need it to do something. And I don't really have acne like anymore. I used to back in the day, but I don't really struggle with acne. I break out every once in a while. Um, 
I mean, I break out every time I eat something that I know is going to make me break out. Um, but when I'm eating like my clean paleo, nice diet, um, I don't really break out anymore, but I do get like clogged pores and blackheads. I've always had a blackhead issue, um, on my nose and, and I also have still some scarring that I'm working on and things have gotten way better for sure. But getting rid of like red marks and scarring definitely is a process that takes time. And so I kind of just wanted her to help me like do any extractions, get rid of blackheads, any clogged pores, um, scarring stuff. Anyways, she kind of like went over my whole skincare regimen and she did a chemical peel on me, which I mean, my skin is peeling off right now. It's great. Um, honestly, in a good way, whenever I get a chemical peel, it's like, you know, it's kind of horrifying what you look like for a second, but in a weird that your skin's peeling off, but then, sorry, this is way TMI, but it's fine. Um, but then after it's so worth it. Cause your skin looks amazing. And usually after you get a peel or get a ton of extractions, I mean, I usually break out and I'm breaking out right now, but I'm like, my skin's going to look so good. And three days. It's going to be awesome. But anyways, Danielle was incredible. And honestly, this was like the best. I don't want to call it a facial because it was like not your average facial. Like it's like almost like a medical facial, but this whole skincare experience, best thing I've ever done worth every penny. She's about results. Like she's my kind of girl. She wants results, not just doing frou-frou things just to make you feel like you're doing something and not really. Um, she like gets you skin results, whatever you need. And Danielle is one of the smartest people I've ever talked to in my life. I'm getting her on the podcast for sure. But she was just spewing out all this knowledge about skincare. And also, I was talking to her more about um, just the development of ClearStem and why everything works the way it works. And she's such a, like, geek when it comes to chemistry. <laughs> I love it. She knows everything. And she's talking about how, you know, they took so much time and care into developing the ingredients of ClearStem, but also into the process of mixing all those ingredients together because what she was explaining to me because I was asking her about a few products and she was like you know sometimes products the ingredients look great but if the chemist doesn't mix them properly it produces a completely different result and she was explaining it she used the analogy of having a ton of ingredients and she's like you know you could have the exact same ingredients and toss them all in a big pot and make an ugly gross stew or you could take the same ingredients and make something that's plated beautifully and looks like it's out of a five-star restaurant and I was like okay that makes sense to me so it's the same thing with our skincare products and the reason why I love clear stem is because they are just the perfect combination of non-toxic beauty Eastern ideas of natural ingredients that are effective, but also Western science and what's going to actually get you um, stronger results. They blend those beautifully. And I'm actually so excited because their new line, like they're releasing a ton of new products will be out in the next few weeks. And I've gotten to try some insane. It's so great. But the product I originally fell in love with, and I know many of you have as well, is their just clear stem skincare serum. And this product is specifically designed to be anti-acne meets anti-aging. I don't know a single person who wouldn't benefit from using ClearStem. It's a really lightweight serum that is hydrating. It doesn't make you oily. I have oily skin and this actually balances out the oil production in my skin. It 
leaves my skin just plump and hydrated without any excess oil. It actually can help to block excess oil production and androgens in the skin. It's great because it calms the skin down. It calms down any inflamed breakouts and reduces any redness and inflammation. It has really great antibacterial properties. It stimulates collagen in the skin, which is why it's great for reversing and preventing signs of aging as well as helping to eliminate any scarring or red marks it's gonna even out that discoloration brighten up your skin it's honestly an amazing product and after talking to danielle i've been using it even a little bit differently so i usually apply it to clean skin um let it soak in in the evenings and the most mornings and I've shifted to, I use it every morning and every night, but also almost like as sort of a spot treatment. And what I didn't realize was, you know, like with clear stem, like the limit does not exist. So you can just keep applying it, applying it, applying it. So when like, especially as my skin is uh, recovering from this, this chemical peel I got from Danielle, which is awesome. Um, or like I got a burn on my arm and I was thinking, why wouldn't I do the same thing on my face as I do on my arm? Because the clear stem helped get rid of this burn on my arm. Um, and so like with specific areas that I want to target on my face, I just apply it over and over again. Like I apply it a, a bit and then when it's soaked in, I just apply more and I apply more and it helps so much. So I've been doing it a little bit differently that way and I'm loving how effective it is. Like I had a breakout on the side of my face because you know valentine's day i ate a lot of chocolate <laughs> anyways and i just kept applying it and it got rid of it in like a day and i was like whoa this is awesome and also while i visited danielle she really just like drove home even more to me how important it is to cross check all of your products in your skincare or even your hair care if you notice that you get acne kind of along your jawline your neck really make sure you look at the products that you're using in your hair and cross-reference the ingredients in those with their list of pore clogging ingredients on their website clearstemskincare.com they have a list of the most common pore clogging ingredients found in different personal care products and I went back through and was looking at some of the makeup I use because you know I like to try like every makeup I can get my hands on um and this one that I've actually been loving from Pacifica has some pore clogging ingredients and I'm wondering now if that has been what's been giving me like clogged pores on my face um and it's just really interesting information to know. So I highly recommend cross-checking all of those. And she was also explaining to me, like, she she told me that she could tell from the way my skin looked with my blackheads and, um, like, the whiteheads under my skin that it was from product. Like, she could literally pull out product. She's like, this is from, like, powders you're using um, or any other skincare. Because I try so many random skincare products that people send to me or I buy. Um, and... Now I'm like paying a lot more attention to the pore clogging ingredients in everything versus I used to just look at it in skincare and now I'm looking at it in makeup and hair care and all of those things as well. So if you have active acne or want to prevent acne from coming, I highly recommend trying out ClearStem skincare. The serum is super lightweight and easy to incorporate into your skincare regimen. Also, if you get that monthly PMS breakout, Clear stem can really help out with that as well. It helps to balance out the hormones in the skin and the pore. If you have scarring or dark spots or 
discoloration of any kind, the clear stem can really help to reverse that. And actually active acne and scabs have been shown to heal about three times faster when you use clear stem regularly. And if you keep applying it, like I was explaining, it can make it go away even faster. So if you want to try out ClearStem, just go to clearstemskincare.com and use my discount code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, and that will get you $15 off. I'm obsessed with this product. It's a hot product. And also watch out for their new products because they are fire. I'm super excited. But for now, get this serum and in a few weeks, get everything else. Again, clearstemskincare.com. Use my code wellness and that will get you $15 off. But let's hop into today's guest. She's back. My friend, my assistant, Kelly Scott. Kelly Scott is one of my favorite humans in the universe. And she came over a while back to do some business things. A little a little work, a little play. You know, we hung out. We also did work, went on a walking meeting. Um, she helps me a lot with the podcast. Um, and other work-related things helped me plan the retreat, but then we wanted to record a podcast, of course, and I really wanted to chat with her about what it's like being in culinary school because she has been in culinary school for over a year now, and it's a really interesting experience, and she tells me all these stories all the time, and I'm like, girl, we got to get you back on the podcast to chat about what it's been like in culinary school, being a paleo chef. If y'all haven't seen Kelly's cooking, it is fire and Kelly's like also the top of her class she's one of the best chefs ever in general um and she's making a name because she's a paleo chef so uh, I'm just super proud of her and so happy that she's my friend because she makes me the best food and she's just an awesome person in general but she makes some freaking killer food make sure you follow her on instagram kelly's clean kitchen and then she also has amazing recipes up on her website kellyscleankitchen.com she also helped me develop a few of the recipes in my latest ebook hashtag no sugar no problems part two a lovely collection of paleo sweetener free desserts no sugar desserts um she helped me with some of those but she has some awesome recipes up on her website make sure you check her out on instagram and if you haven't listened to my last podcast with kelly make sure you head to episode 107 she talks about what it was like being in the modeling industry her recovery from a brain injury this girl has had quite the life and now she's just killing it as a chef so i'm very pumped for you to hear this conversation with my friend kelly and without further ado, here is the one and only Kelly Scott from Kelly's Clean Kitchen. Mike Cow, energy in. <laughs> Did you finish that? Yeah, it was so good. It was literally like chocolate milk. I know, it's like that's so dangerous. What's, it's just coconut sugar, right? Yeah. Let me see. Coconut sugar, yeah. Well, I have my cordyceps. Cacao. So water. I'm getting mm. natural energy while you get very fake well we stayed fake. up so late i needed some fake energy i know i was surprised we stayed up that late yeah i was not well this morning i thought you were gonna t- i was expecting you to be like i'm tired let's go to bed at like well i was but i wanted to spend time with you <laughs> i wanted to spend time with you too i was so tired i was like we did we got some good work done some good yeah, we manifesting did. we did well we're rolling are you ready ready okay <laughs> good <laughs> Well, Kelly Scott, it has been a hot second. Hello, hello, hello. Since you've been on the podcast. 
Um, it's been too long. Yeah. Last time was when I was visiting you. That was so long in ago. In South Carolina. Yeah. So much has happened. And now you're in San Diego. Yeah. So, like, what's been going on? What have you been up to? <laughs> oh, my gosh. What hasn't been going on? I obviously started culinary school. And I've done already two semesters. And so now I'm actually living in Orange County, which is obviously why I'm here visiting you because it's so close. Doing my externship. So it's a semester like outside of the culinary world where you're like, not the world, you're still in the world, you're just working. So yeah, I think that term is interesting. Externship. Like why isn't it just called an internship? I don't really know. Do I feel know? like it's because more people get paid and I, that can be 100%. Oh really? In my mind. Do you get paid? I do. Thank God I get paid. Some people don't get paid, but that's only if you work for like Michelin star restaurants, essentially, where mm. they can basically force you to do free labor. Yeah, that's not my situation. That's yeah, I'm not here for that. But you've you're a seasoned col. I have just I have salt on my. I just find random salt in my house. Um, <laughs> you've been <laughs> in cul. You're like a seasoned culinary school student. Yeah, I would say. Uh, done like basically my first year yeah and I think that people want to know what is culinary school really like because well obviously you tell me things as you it happens and Mm -hmm. I'm just I'm shook (laughs) it's honestly like it should have its own reality show chef it's wild crazier it's the the shit that goes down (laughs) is so crazy and I'm like in a luckily in a position where I'm like the class leader of my class, so mm-hmm. I see and witness all this drama, but I don't have to be in it. So it's bad to say it's entertaining, but it's extremely entertaining. But it's crazy. Okay, let's walk me through what your first day was like. Like, what were you thinking? What did you notice? Well, the first thing you like blatantly notice going into like a culinary school is like how little females there are there. Mm-hmm. I thought there would be maybe a little bit more, but there's like probably I think there's three in my class now out of like a class of like 17. Isn't it interesting how there's a stereotype that women are in the kitchen yet chefs are all men? It's really messed up actually yeah because it's like all these females are like you know when you think of a stereotype housewife Mm -hmm. they're the ones cooking you go to a typical home and it's like the female cooking but then take it professionally and now that people are like getting um high like accolades for it it's Mm -hmm. all the men and then they're the ones getting like head chef positions and you see them moving up in the chef world mm-hmm. and culinary world. I haven't had like a female teacher yet. You haven't? No, not. I've had one proctor that for like a test that's mm-hmm. been female and then the rest have all been men. I didn't realize that. That's yeah. annoying. It's There's only like two female culinary students, like professionals on staff. Do you feel like the professors treat women differently? I think some do. I would, I would be ignorant to say that they don't Mm -hmm. um I've only had it where here's here's the thing a lot of people say that females get treated better at our school but I also think it's because females work harder and they're just kind of like they have more the ones in my class have better work ethic and they're just like smarter about like organization and doing things better so therefore they do become more of the favorites for the most part do you think like it's because you feel like you have to prove yourself like oh 100 yeah. yeah i feel like every single day i go into school or my job and i have to prove myself because i'm a female and i'm surrounded by males mm-hmm. who think they're like better and stronger and so i really have to like work 100 percent harder 
It's a huge psychology game. Like, it, it's, oh, yeah. it's very... Actually, you know, before we get into all this, can you talk to people about what it's like um, getting into culinary school? Yeah, so my culinary school is the Culinary Institute of America, and we're thought of as, like, the best one in the United States. We have a few branches. There's, like, one in Texas, one in California, which is one I go to, and then one in New York. And so they're, like, the most esteemed one. Mm -hmm. And the process is you have to – I think you have to have former culinary experience or also have, like, gone to college. So there's some people out of high school that come – And there's a lot of career changers like me, like went to college and changed their mind type of thing. And you have to go and like get recommendation, like say why you want to be in there. Like I know a lot of people who got denied. I didn't think it was very hard getting in, but um, for the food industry, a lot of the food industries are like filled with like misfits. So it's like harder for them to get in because they have to, you know, have good transcripts and stuff. So like I've had friends who had to apply like three times to get in. Mm -hmm, Okay. So it's hard, but it's, not like super hard it's more hard once you get into it and the atmosphere is so competitive there's like a 50 percent dropout rate so there's only gonna be like 50 percent of my class that makes it through just because it's so intense once you get in there yeah talk about the first few weeks because i remember you describing it to me when you first were going through it and i remember we were talking about i'm like they're just trying to weed you out like oh yeah i'm trying to get people to drop why what happens in the first few weeks so the first few weeks and like the first semester in general, um, you have your fundamentals class mm-hmm. and that's the one that everyone thinks is the most difficult because they're trying to get the people who like can't handle it to like quit before it gets too serious. Because if you think about it, they're like known as the best culinary school in the nation. So you can't have bad students having that name to them, like being like, oh, I'm a CIA grad and then I'm not being very good in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So it's like they kind of want to get rid of some of the ones that shouldn't be able to want to get through so like the first week it's very it's like very intense um just in fundamentals alone you're doing these knife skills tests where you're going as fast as you can and you're basically if you've never like done sports or like anything like militaristic like that you're not used to the order and the regime being in uniform every day having to get on like your hands and knees and scrub the ground every day and basically just like you're doing like pretty much bitch work, but that's what you do in the kitchen. But people who aren't used to that, it's hard for them. Uh, do they teach you those the skills though? Like with the knife work, do they teach you that, or you kind of expect to already know? They that? teach you. Like okay. I definitely did not know mm-hmm. the extent of I, which I know now going in. Mm-hmm. But you have to. It's up to you to learn, like learn it further and like make it like where you can do it very efficiently. Like you, I went into knife skills practice like four times a week mm-hmm. to get down my knife skills. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do that, you're kind of screwed and you just won't get good grades. Are they playing? So it's just like a lot of work, right? And it's oh, yeah. hard. But like, mm-hmm. what about the psychological games that they're playing? Like, what is it that weeds people out the first few months? I think it's just like the intensity of it. First of all, the competitive atmosphere. Some people can't handle it. Mm-hmm. And that's just from the students alone make it so competitive. And so it's like kind of like you are against each other. But at the same time, it depends on your class. Like my class is in in a way where we are competitive, but we do also work as a team. But some people can't handle that atmosphere of knowing that someone is better than you. Especially like a lot of like guys can't really... And there you go. They re- there you go. The really male can't. ego. They're not used to that. Yeah. Um, but then also the professors are really hard. Like I've had some 
chefs scream at my classmates and stuff just because they do something stupid and they're like, you can't handle it and like stuff like that. And they get some are like really old school, intense, like militaristic, like we'll scream at you type of thing. And they definitely can't handle that kind of pressure for a lot of them. Yeah. It, so, and especially when you talk about kind of the grading and how that works, yeah. it reminded me a lot of like in college, I don't know what your college was like, but at mm-hmm. UCLA it, for not every major, but for the harder majors, like, you know, the highest grade anyone would get would be like a 40%, you oh, know, yeah. like they just, they want to have a really bad curve and just to make everyone feel horrible. Oh yeah. They want, they want to kind of like humble you. Mm-hmm. If you think you're the best, you will be get brought down and be like, oh shit, maybe I'm not that good. Yeah. And like, they, that definitely happened to me this semester. Like I, after my first semester, I did very well. Mm-hmm. I, um, was really good in my class um, for fundamentals at the CIA. There, it's very rare to get an A, and I was one of the only people in the past past few years to get an A. And I was, I think, I was like tenth person in ten years to get an A in that class. Damn. And so I was like, you know, really cocky. I mean, I rightfully earned my cockiness a little bit. I wasn't like obnoxious about it, but then like going into my first huge practical second semester, I was super confident, and then my professor chef just basically tore me a new one and was just like you're not as good as you think you are did you cry no but I was very very mad oh my god I was just like damn okay I shouldn't have been that confident going into it yeah so what do you attribute that to your ability to get like an A in that class I think it's it is about talent but Mm -hmm. it's mostly about your work ethic and that's with any job I feel like because you can be talented but if you don't have a strong worth work ethic and drive that's going to like outweigh it, I think. I've always been in the boat where someone can outwork their opponents mm-hmm. and I've always been a try hard and so I'm like known as a try hard because I will do the homework. I'll do extra hours of tutoring and stuff like that. I'm in constant communication with my chef instructors, like asking for feedback. So you really have to be like type A organized. Mm -hmm. And people who are are more like relaxed like that don't come in with a plan every day. Definitely you can tell on their work. But that's like the same thing in the kitchen. Like if you're working in a real kitchen, you have to have a game plan going into the day. Mm -hmm. You can't just like lackadaisically go through the motions, I guess. Yeah. Can you kind of describe what a day slash week is like in culinary school? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So right now, I guess this past past semester, my class was on night shifts. So we would basically come in at 11 and we would have like a lecture class. So some of the classes would be like nutrition or culinary math or something like that, or like hospitality. And then you would have lunch, which is usually cooked by students. And then from like 2 p.m. to like 9 p.m., you are in the kitchen working. Mm-hmm. And so your class changes every three blocks. So we would have like banquets class, high volume class, and we're cooking dinners for people. But I usually got, we usually got into the class of the like kitchen at like 1 p.m. to start setting up and getting organized and doing that. So, and then I'm usually class sue, which is like the class leader for the class. Like I'm always class leader, but then it's like the sous chef, which is in the second hand man to the chef instructor. So I'm there earlier, like three hours earlier, organizing everyone's tasks for the day and projects and stuff like that. So it's usually like a full day event. I'm just 
constantly planning and then cooking and doing stuff like that until 9 p.m. or 8.30 after dinner service, you're cleaning everything up. And then you just do the same thing again. And then you do the same thing the next day. And then what, on your days off, what were you doing? Like my weekends? Yeah. I, well, I work. Uh, I work. Yeah. So it's like every day I'm just cooking <laughs> all day. When were you studying? Um, usually early mornings. Early mornings. Yeah, I would get up, work out like really early at like 5 a.m. And then go on walks and study for everything. In culinary school, um, is it more time? Is it like college where a lot of it is work you do outside? Or is it different in culinary school where most of the work is like when you're there and then it's less studying and outside stuff? I guess it just depends on the type of person. So for most people, they are the work is when you're there because mm-hmm. it's like you're actually cooking. For me, it was probably half and half because half the time I like to prepare for the class into what I'm cooking. Like for each day, I might be doing a different recipe. I want to go over that recipe. I want to talk to my chef, like mm-hmm. talk to other people who've done that recipe. So I know like the mistakes that already been happening and how I can prepare for that. And also just like studying for tests and stuff. So mine was definitely half and half, but that's also why I probably do better in school yeah. because I do a lot of the work outside of school as well. So in so in class, did they tell you what you're going to be making like the next day? Like they, you know ahead of time what you're Yeah, making. like you have your whole schedule. Like for like banquets class, for example, you're on teams of like three or four mm-hmm. and your team's in charge of doing certain things. So you, you'll have a whole like menu for your team like maybe I'll be in charge of meat for my team that day and then someone else is in charge of the vegetables or like something where everyone has a lot to do so you have to know your recipes and stuff and so not everyone's doing the same recipes Mm -hmm. so you're all doing your own thing and coming back together and then maybe the next day a team like changes station so then you can learn from the past team's mistakes Mm -hmm. and do different methods and stuff like that so maybe you can explain to people um, cause you're, you're Kelly's clean kitchen and you're mm-hmm. paleo. Um, how are you navigating this whole experience with a, like eating paleo and like, because I, I have talked to, I mean, before meeting you or before mm-hmm. you going to CIA, I talked to a lot of friends who, um, love cooking and would say things like, oh, I wish I could go to culinary school, but none of them like work with somebody who's paleo or like, it's just too much gluten and dairy. And you know, they, and, Obviously, mm-hmm. I've never researched culinary school, so I was like, oh, yeah. right? And then you went, and then so that's why it's something I was intrigued about. I was like, oh, does that work without – because I, I'm, I bet there are people who listen to this who um, maybe have a dream to become a chef and want to go to culinary yeah. school, but they do have food allergies, and so they feel like they can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you navigate that? I thought it would be a lot harder than it was and they're starting to open up more and more because allergies are becoming so prevalent. Like I know for a fact there's like five people at my school who have celiac mm-hmm. and so that's becoming a factor because now we have to start making food that's gluten-free and compliant for those people. Um, it is it, it is difficult in some aspects. Like I will get a dish and it'll have soy in it. So I kind of I have to try it a little bit. I don't have to eat. You don't have to eat anything you don't want to. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, you will get a better experience if you try it and know what your food is like. But everything, like if you're going into lunch, everything is labeled. 
um, so has the gluten allergies, dairy allergies, stuff like that. I'm always in constant communication with my professors, telling them like what I can and can't eat. And they're really, a lot of them are really good about it. And they'll give me freedom to try to try new recipes. And that's nice because they're starting to open up into the health world. And I've been able to try some healthy paleo recipes in class and for people for dinner. And they've really received it well and really, really like it. And mm-hmm. it surprises them. Because it obviously has the bad stigma of, oh, healthy food's gross. Mm -hmm. So that's nice. And I think that door to that world is starting to open up because they're a little resistant right now. But now that, you know, allergies are so prevalent and things like veganism and people who are like paleo are more common, they're starting to try to make those adjustments. So it's hard because sometimes I do have to eat um, some of the stuff I make. Like Mm -hmm. if I'm trying something with soy in it, I won't do like obviously any gluten or anything like that, but if I'm trying certain things, I'll just have a bite of it. And then I've kind of accepted that I have to do that right now and yeah. move on. At first I was like pretty resistant and it was like kind of a mental block for me, but now I've kind of accepted it and moved on and just work with my peers and like basically have them know what my allergies are and making them more aware. And I think that helps them too, because I've talked to almost every class that I've worked with and been like, Hey, has this have any cross contact with gluten? And then they therefore become more aware about it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like knowing someone with a gluten allergy in culinary school and stuff like that is getting them better prepared for the world because that's still a problem out there where people are not that knowledgeable. Like some people still think there's right, like, gluten and rice mm-hmm. and then you're like trying to educate them so it's definitely like I think that world is opening up in the culinary world so I think that's a good that's a good thing to see and a good thing to be a part of because it's so new I think that's a really good point that they can learn a lot from that's you. what I think of yeah. it because at first I was like I think it might be a crutch for them and it might be like a downfall for me to be on their teams and they might be frustrated with them because they have to work around my gluten allergy and not wanting to eat dairy that much. But really all of my classmates have been super accepting and they're like, okay, yeah, let's work with it. Let's solve this problem and see what else we can do. And then that opens up new ways for them to see it. Mm-hmm. That's and, awesome. Mm-hmm. So what are the some of the things that you just kind of come to accept? Like I'm just going to have to have a bite of it here mm-hmm. and there, which I really think is important important for people to hear because I think especially in the space many of us have become um people have gone you know okay I am the ingredients like oh yeah uh, I'm very intense about ingredients mm-hmm. but even I like do you know what I mean so I'm like guys sometimes it's okay to have a yeah, bite of something like that's you're not gonna lift. yeah you're gonna be fine and I'm seeing it a lot in this space like I think it's really important to educate people about all these ingredients that are snuck into everything mm-hmm. but if you're having this once in a blue moon and also dose dependent, right? Like yeah. one bite is different than a whole, a whole tamale, right? Exactly. So I think we need to be aware of that, especially when it's something like culinary school, right? Like mm-hmm. you having a bite of something here and there isn't going to make or no. break your health. Um, and it's just also just like, while well, you're in school, right? Like you're not going to be doing that forever. Exactly. But what are some of the things that you do compromise on? I guess, like, what are your boundaries? Like, I know you don't eat any, mm-hmm. no gluten. You, you, won't, no, try, you won't try gluten, but you'll have some soy here and there. And, like, what mm-hmm. else will you have here and there? I will, I will try, for the most part, to stay away from dairy. Mm-hmm. If things are cooked in um, butter, we usually do use clarified butter. So that's not as bad. I do fine with that, but it does cause some breakouts. So 
that I try to avoid, but mm. sometimes all certain cuisines are cooked in ghee, so I kind of have to accept that. Um, but I also will eat some soy as long as it's they usually use tamari mm-hmm. instead. I won't like have a whole huge meal with it, but I will try to get you know my class to cook with tamari instead. Um, gluten, obviously a big no. If there's any milk products, I don't do. But if there's an occasional like quinoa salad, mm-hmm. I'll have a little bit of that if there's nothing else to eat. Mm-hmm. If there's a little bit of corn, I won't be too apprehensive around that. So like a tiny bit of corn, a tiny bit of soy, some quinoas, I'm not super like nervous about anymore. Same with some rice. Like if there's sushi one day, I might have one bite of sushi. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to like freak out. And I would have freaked out in the beginning, but it's actually helped me accept that I can't control everything. And that one bite isn't going to kill me. It's not like I'm eating like this every day. And it really has helped realize that it's okay to like have a bite here and there and see if it's okay with you and Mm -hmm. stuff like that what about vegetable oils oh is that all the cook like that's i still have a very hard problem with that because every time i'm on a team i will make them cook with olive oil but a lot of people still cook with vegetable oil and that's one of my hard no's Mm. i will probably have like a bite of something but i know know if there's a dish that's heavy on a vegetable oil i'm not gonna eat it okay but if they're like grilling and the grill has been marked with vegetable oil, I'm probably going to be okay with a little bit of that. But if there's something where they just like did a ton of vegetable oil, I'm still <laughs> still apprehensive about that. What about, um, I'm curious about like, you, t- you took a nutrition class, right? I, well, I transferred out, but uh-huh. I luckily took one in college, but I, I knew everything they were talking what about. What do they teach? Like they teach shit. the oh, absolute bullshit. Do they teach it, like usual. vegetable oils or like? Of course, yeah. Good? You know the typical RD stuff. Like vegetable oils are good. They're good, healthy fats. You know you want to stay from saturated fats. Coconut oils are bad. <laughs> Dairy's good. Whole grains are great for you. Low fat. Blah blah blah. And I'm literally teach- just like, oh. Okay, that's interesting. So let's just so they they teach the low fat thing, right? Yeah. Um. But in cooking, I feel like, like, in cooking, fats are, like, they use a lot of fat oh to God, make it taste good. we use so much fat. So you learn this nutrition, and quote, this quote, nutrition yeah. information, and they don't, they but they don't actually use that to, like, oh my God, to no. decide on what they're making. No, we never, we never, like, let's do a healthy dish in school. It's, like, what's going to make the best flavor? Yeah. And then we use a shit ton of fat because fat is flavor. And so, like, even one class, we did, like, a healthy station. We did, like, a fruit breakfast station. Mm-hmm. And our smoothies were, like, made with, like, tofu and, like, all this milk. And I was, like, yeah, quote, healthy. <laughs> so healthy. <laughs> and, like, these healthy, like, sandwiches and stuff oh, like God. that. Like, yeah. whole wheat bread. And I'm just, like, okay, y'all. Do people <laughs> at school know, like, what you're like? Like, that you're hardcore paleo? Oh, yeah. They think I'm crazy. Really? But they they like do they ever think ask I'm you like about crazy. it or do they just kind of like they know and they just move on? Do they ever like inquire? some people? Yeah, some people inquire, especially when I get a new chef that's interested and like doesn't know about it. Shockingly, like not many people know about paleo at all in the culinary world. 
almost none of my chefs knew. I like go up and talk to them like, hey, can I try this paleo recipe? And they're like, what's paleo? And my class now knows because I've like drilled into them what I what I eat. And then half the time people still think I'm a fucking vegan. Yeah. They're like, wait, Kelly, you can't eat that. That's ve- That's not vegan. And I'm like, no, no, yeah. I'm not vegan. But- people still think, they still think like, if someone's healthy, that yeah, they're vegan. Always. Okay, how is this person... Wasn't there a vegan person in your class? There's one at our school. Mm-hmm. Um, He's a teacher. So, like, when he... Oh. He doesn't have to cook. Um, But, like, he I comes up to eat lunch and stuff. And yeah. he can eat, like, rice. And I'm like, I don't know how he does it. It seems odd. There's me. a lot of vegetarians in... Um, there's some vegetarians in culinary and a lot in the baking program. And that's even that's... It's me. very strange. Didn't you say there was a celiac in the baking program? Yes. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't. That one. I don't get it. She has to wear. Sometimes she has to wear a face mask because the flower that flies around. That's a death wish. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't get. I really don't get it because gluten free baking is so far different. It's so different. Gluten's yeah. so such mm-hmm. a huge like component of like baking and forming it. It's way different. And I'm like, I really, I've tried to talk to her about. it. And she's like, Yeah, I just you know like. I just have to trust my peers. I'm like, I do too, but it's really hard when all you're doing is baking with gluten. Yeah. Wait, so there's a separate baking program and then there's mm-hmm. just a straight, like, regular A straight, like, culinary. Person. Okay. So, like, baking is, like, basically all girls and, like, a few boys. And then culinary is, like, a bunch of guys oh. and a few girls type of thing. Okay. And we have, like, different sides of the kitchen. Okay. Like, they have a fourth of the kitchen and we probably have three-fourths of the kitchen. Okay. Is Well, in general, though, do you feel like... I've I also heard this argument too. People say, well, there's no, like going back to my friends who are in the paleo world and they really love to cook and they're like, I can't do culinary school. And they're like, well, there's no point because cooking is so different in the paleo world than it is in for regular. I could not uh, disagree more Okay. because you're still getting the cooking's the same no matter what you're doing. Baking's different, obviously, because of gluten. But cooking, you're still using the same techniques. Mm-hmm. You just can use different ingredients. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I'm making, like, if I'm sautéing something, you're still using the technique mm-hmm. that you would be using if you were sautéing, like, I don't know, something with, like, a floured object or using vegetable oil. It's like you're still learning the basic techniques of, like, sautéing, grilling, roasting, braising, all of that, or, like, doing stuff for high volume. So anything's applicable. Yeah, um, I'm glad you pointed that out. I think a lot of it's just people. St- I I want to see more people doing what mm-hmm. you're doing. Like I want to see more healthy people. Like infiltrating. There's really, yeah, there's the really no one. Like at my school, I'm the only one that I think is like paleo or like pretty healthy for the most part. Can you talk about okay? How many people are in your class and how many people are in your school? Okay, so mine's it's really small. Um, my school's probably like 300 people mm-hmm. in the culinary program, and my class is i think i think 19 18 or 19 and you're with those people for the whole and i'm with them all day every day for two years it's 19 but there's a new class every every like semester there's one or two classes that come in three if it's a big class like this past round there was three because it's fall and usually it's like the high school babies graduate and come in the fall um my class graduating class had two classes so my sister class and my class are so this will roughly like 30 people give or take so what's the demographic like the demographic mostly males Mm -hmm. as we said um i think now that a few people have dropped 
I think in total of my graduating class of roughly 30 people, there's probably four girls. Mm. Maybe. What about like age? Oh, age. Like other demographics. It's ranges. Like there's some high school people. A lot of my class is usually in our 20s. Usually we're like career changers. And then we have random people like a 40-year-old. And then there's sometimes there's a 50-year-old just coming in like either career changing or, you know, they're came upon some wealth and there's want to go to cooking school type of thing so Mm. it's like all over the place um my class is mostly in their 20s though luckily okay so how did you become class leader (laughs) so I just kind of in the when I heard that class leader was a thing I was Mm -hmm. like I want to do that I've always been in leadership positions I've been captain of my volleyball teams Mm -hmm. you know I'm very type a organized so I'm like I think that's something I'd be good at because it's just kind of managing people and managing your class periods Mm -hmm. and stuff like that so in the first we had three weeks to pick a class leader in the beginning and we kind of all sat down together and was like this is why like there was like four of us were like we want to be class leaders and that we had a vote and it was pretty intimidating, but I happened to win that vote. And if some classes, they don't end up liking their class leader, you can literally like throw them off the island and veto them. And so many classes do that. But luckily my class, we all really gel. I think they like me as a class leader and I've shown like what I can do and like all the work that goes into it. And so we've been like really thriving as a class with me as class leader so far. So when you were like campaigning, cause it was very early on. Oh, very. Did yeah. you, how did you play it? Did you like pretend to be really nice to get people to like you? <laughs> Dead. <laughs> um, I definitely was like very supportive. I was like, I'm going to be your number one cheerleader, which I am. I am their number one cheerleaders, but I'm also like, I'm stern yeah, and hold my own. <laughs> I'm a hard ass, but I'm also like, I will be there for you and be the one to kick other people's asses if they put you down. And I have done that. And so, Are you pe- the tallest one in your class? There's like a like two guys taller than me. Honestly, but if then someone no. tall came up to me and was like, I'm running for class leader, I'd be like, okay, I'll vote for you. Honestly, I know it was funny because it was between me and another tall guy. Oh, I bet. And we were both like fairly intimidating. But was, was that your arch nemesis? My arch at nemesis time? at the time made friends. If anyone from my culinary class is listening, I'm friends with everyone. But at the time, I thought he was my arch nemesis. <laughs> yeah, so drama. Why was he your arch nemesis? Well, first of all, we were both running for class leader, mm-hmm. and he definitely has one of those complexes that he he is the best in the kitchen, mm-hmm. and so it was a little hurt to his ego mm-hmm. that I beat him, and especially that I think a female beat him mm-hmm. in a place where he thought he was the best. He's been in the food industry far longer than I have, and he still thinks he's the best in the class, but, you know, I let him have that. That's okay. He can, he can think that, but now... I think we realize instead of working against each other, we do better working with each other so we can like be on the same team. But before it was kind of like, I felt like he was like out to get me just cause like I was the class leader and he couldn't handle that internally at the moment. Yeah. Well on this topic, I want to get into the juicy stories of things that have happened oh, because yeah. how like in culinary school, the, what you described to me, it's literally out of a reality show and mm-hmm. people sabotaging each other and like just this intensity. And can mm-hmm. you like, I don't know what was the first thing that happened where you were like, okay, this is people are out to get each other. The first thing that happened probably was hearing stories from older classes first because mm-hmm. they'll like warn you. What did they and, tell you? Um, the class above me would always tell me how like 
especially during practicals, people sabotage each other. So like you're making a meal that in like two hours and presenting it to your chef and people literally sabotage each other, steal your equipment. Some I've heard stories of where people have literally stolen whole dishes of food. Where do they put it? They present it as the, their own. Oh my god! And the thing is, like, can't chef, you tell someone like, dude, you that's... think, but apparently, like, some chef instructors are kind of like, it's a dog eat dog world, yeah. Oh my god! And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's crazy. Luckily, that's nothing like that has really happened in my class where like we're literally sabotaging each other. We've had some wild things happen though in my class. Tell me. That's mostly happened second semester. So first semester, you're in the honeymoon phase. Like you don't really know each other that well. And so you're not really out to get each other yet. And then second semester, you're like, you're settled in like an old married couple. So you start to get annoyed with people and suddenly little ticks start happening and things just like start escalating because you're spending like eight hours a day with these people and it's like 15 people. So it's the same people over and over again. And you just, some people just get too comfortable and some people just really start hating each other. I think one of the wildest things that happened, there's um, one female in my class who is controversial, to say the least. And some people like really just don't get along with her. But one day, first of all, she gets like in a screaming fight with another girl and just walks out of dinner service, which is like so crazy because you were serving like hundreds of people and her team like needed her to like cook. Mm-hmm. So they were like deep in the weeds and just like shit like that just walks out. And then another time with her, her team I guess was just pissing her off and usually etiquette in the kitchen is when you're behind someone you say like behind and if you're holding something hot or sharp you say behind sharp behind hot so people know like don't move because you're gonna burn them or injure them so one time she was just behind someone and he was really pissing her off so instead of saying like behind hot she just walked a hot sheet pan right from the oven just pressed it hard into his back oh and just God. burnt the shit out of him and literally when I, they brought it up to me because i'm the team leader and usually have to deal with conflict and i was like that's this can't be true yeah and so i asked around like three different people they're like oh yeah oh yeah that happened i saw it happen she pressed the hot pan into his back like a scalding that's hot a pan i was like what so I, like i literally talked to her later that day and i was like hey like i'm really not sure if this happened she was like oh yeah he was just really pissing me off Oh and my just God. fucking burns the shit out of him. So did you discipline? Like, what do you do in that situation? It's so uncomfortable because I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, do you go to the upper, like, administration, stuff like that? So, I would. Yeah, in that situation, I was like, you cannot, you really cannot do this again. I'll have to report you. And so she didn't do it again. But, like, it was, like, one of those situations. It's awkward. And then some people in my class struggled with, some substance abuse too and that's really uncomfortable situation because it's a very prevalent issue in the industry and especially to be doing that in school is like wild to me that people will come and like literally be doing drugs and alcohol in school in that atmosphere and what tell me tell us what happened oh my god so there is one juicy juicy drama from this past semester we have like a someone in our class who has a alcohol issue to say the least and so he just started coming to school and like in in school like holding knives and fire just highly intoxicated and so uh, we had to go to administration be like yo this is happening this past week he is like drunk he was like he made like obviously like 
comments like highly inappropriate comments because he was like intoxicated and stuff like that just like crazy stuff and so the administration was like okay well if we see it happen again we'll like do something so one day we were literally in lecture class doing presentations he walks up there to do his presentation completely hammered like slurring his words like almost falling over and all of us in the classroom were like well he's really fucking drunk and so our teacher literally had to like call administration to come in, security come in, like take him out. And it was like drama just because like, that's crazy. Just go to class. So just... did he get expelled? Is he still there or what? The verdict is still out. It's very confusing because it was at the end of our semester. And so he like got kicked out of the class and he couldn't take his practical. So if you can't take your practical, you can't move on. So he's either like, maybe still in that semester but I don't think he's in our class anymore because at the end of semester it just kind of like ended but he couldn't take his practical so you can't move on without a practical oh my god so yeah. I guess we'll have it's TBD. TBD do you have any other crazy sabotage stories those are like the worst ones where it's like someone else actually physically harmed or something like that usually the rest is just like small stuff like playing blame games with certain dishes or like mm really majorly messing up and like causing a huge like fiasco at dinner service and stuff like that i feel like you guys need a reality show i would love to it's see so all entertaining the drama that goes on especially like- in a small school where everyone knows everything mm-hmm. and everyone knows each other like shit's always going down yeah and because it's like there's drama in the kitchen but also obviously yeah. drama outside the kitchen oh yeah you guys you, are like a very yeah if anyone dates anyone yeah god forbid oh my god yeah well also i want you to talk about what your practicals are like mm-hmm. and what your tests like what 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 do you what's a practical like what is that like they're very intimidating um, I think they're very fun because I thrive in like mm-hmm. high intense atmospheres, I guess. But basically practicals, you have one like every semester or so. And if you don't pass them, you don't move on and you have to keep retaking them. And I think the fail rate was like 25% for my class, which is pretty high. You basically go in. And if you fail, you fail, you have to retake it. You only have like three chances, like three strikes, you're out basically. Like out as in? I was kicked out of the school or you have to like redo the semester or you have to I think you have to like challenge the dean or something like that to be like I should still be in school I'm still a good cook and usually I think it's like nah you're done with the school type of thing okay um but basically you go in you get a proctor and that's like one of the big deals because proctors are like different each one I happen to get the hardest proctor so I was like okay this is nerve-wracking I've never had her as a teacher and she's known as one of the hardest ones but I was like okay I'm fine and then you once you get there you draw out of like a hat basically what dish you're gonna get get and you have like six options there's a protein on each dish a starch and like two vegetables and stuff on the dish and like a sauce mm-hmm. and so you don't know what you're gonna get and you pull it but out do of you the know hat. all the options before yeah you know the options but you can't go in with recipes you can't go in with techniques so you just have to know it mm-hmm. and you can go in the timeline like a game plan timeline for each dish you might get but you can't have any recipes or techniques on there it's just like at this time you should start this mm-hmm. and stuff like that so then you have two and a half hours to essentially cook that perfect meal and then like a soup as well Okay, so what did you get? So I pulled, I was lucky and pulled poached salmon, which I'm good at. Mm-hmm. And with the poached salmon, you have like a Bernays sauce, which is like a butter sauce. And I think it was like two 
vegetables and like tournay potatoes, which is like a tricky cut of a potato. And so, and then I also had a, a chicken consomme soup and I was pretty good. I had that in my first practical. So I was like, I was set, I was ready. Um, but two and a half hours goes by really quickly and mine went like pretty seamlessly. And I was like, Oh, like I presented it. I was like, for sure. I got a hundred, like I got a high pass. Like this food is great. But then what you don't realize is how closely they're really watching you. They have like three people at a time and they pick up everything. So like my proctor, for example, she said my food was great, but she didn't like the way, for example, I tempt my salmon. So I got points off for temping my salmon wrong, or I poured my soup out weirdly and she didn't like the way I poured it out. So I got points off for that. So she basically like crushed, crushed me. (laughs) I I mean, I still got a great grade for practicals, but it was just like crazy minor stuff. And then other people just get, some people get so nervous, you know, they walk out. We had someone walk out of the practical because theirs was like going so far south. They just like couldn't handle it and broke down. Yeah. And then some people just like really some can't handle it. Some of your friends failed, didn't they? Yeah. I had a few friends fail. So they had to retake it? They had to retake it, which is like a huge mental block. And a lot of the problem is people go in freaking out because it's built up all this like pressure and stuff to pass this practical and you're preparing for it for weeks and so they psych themselves out so badly going into it that they cause it onto themselves to like not do well that's intense okay Mm -hmm. so what you pick you basically pick the foods you're picking out of a hat right Mm -hmm. um so does it just say like poached salmon does it just say like chicken what was that called consomme soup chicken consomme well i've run consomme but yeah basically you pull a station actually okay. and then you look underneath the fridge at your station mm-hmm. and it has the components of the dish okay that you get so and like so- i saw salmon i was like oh perfect i have the salmon dish but some there's three chicken dishes so you mm-hmm. could have pulled a chicken and had to figure out which chicken dish it was based on the other ingredients oh, so you have to figure it out yeah okay and the ingredients so say you so say in your head you know which dish it is mm-hmm. Did, is there like a, a recipe that they're expecting you to have memorized? Yep, you have to know everything. Oh, okay, that makes more sense. I mm-hmm. thought it was just like here are the ingredients, make your own dish. Like oh no no, on top chef. It's no, a no, specific no. It's like recipe. A very specific recipe. So, so you like, have to have rest- memorized. Mm-hmm. So like for the poached so the salmon, for example, yeah. I had to make the exact liquid I poached it in, which is mm-hmm. called a court bouillon. I had to make that. I had to fabricate the salmon the way they want me to fabricate it the way they teach me the exact ingredients and technique for the sauce I was making and the potatoes I was making and then I remember I had spinach as well like trimmed certain way they want it drained certain way they want it which dressings you're supposed to have with it and stuff like that so it's like very particular like if you forget an ingredient you get like a lot of points off even if it's like something so so minor so then after you're done cooking it do you have to, do they mark you up for presentation? Like, do you have mm-hmm. to, okay. So then, do you present it, like, the same way on, like, Top Chef or whatever? Like, and then do you have, <laughs> do they try it in front of you like that? Basically, yeah. So you have, like, a 15-minute time window, and then, like, your window's open. So at that time, you have to have, like, hot plates ready. You have to heat up your plates. You have to plate it perfectly, plate wipe, you know, and present it to them. So, like, for when my window opened, I presented my soup first because, like, a soup course goes first, and it's easy. It's already done. Mm-hmm. I threw it up there made sure my soup cups were hot. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was trying that, 
And then I was finishing the rest of my components and plating it mm -hmm. um, all within the 15 minutes. A lot of people miss their window and you lose like, I think a letter grade a minute. Mm -hmm. um, I made my window, but then you present it and then she will be like, okay, come sit with me because you do two dishes. And basically she just rips into you for every piece of food. And you take a bite and she'll be like, blah, blah, blah. This is horrible. This is great. This and this. And then you taste it with her and do all that stuff. My God. Yeah, and then she presents you. She or he presents you with your grade at the end. So, at what point do they start to teach people, or do they like about how to make your own dishes? Because I feel like mm -hmm. a lot of people would go through this, and then if that that never was taught, they would just all be making the dishes, the exact dishes that they learned in school. Does yeah. That make sense. No, yeah, that makes sense. It's not like they teach you how to make your own dish. They teach you like what components are good to go into dishes is there ever um, a class where it's like like the cooking shows where it's like present us with your take on like a salmon dish and you have to show your creativity there's some there are some tantrums you get to do that like uh -huh. during our meat and fish fab we got to do make like our own things we make sauces you want with it sometimes um as long as you have a good relationship with your professor and they don't mind doing like new recipes and stuff they'll let you like i had a lot of chefs who let me like try paleo recipes and do some alterations on stuff and be creative there but um, it's less about creativity at the school because they want to teach you the techniques and methods how to run something properly and then creativity will come later usually yeah what what paleo recipes have you have like made for them had them try I got to do, I made like a paleo vegan eggplant lasagna that was mm -hmm. really, really good with like cashew cheese and stuff like that. Another time my friend and I made like a cauliflower steak type of recipe with a carrot puree dressing that was really good. That was all paleo. And then I made my paleo granola one day for a breakfast thing we had. We had like smoothies and I was like, I'm going to yeah. make, make, make my own granola because they've been doing like oatmeal stuff all day. And I was like, I want to do my own thing. So stuff like that I got to do. And then I always usually change it a little bit. If like a recipe calls for butter, I'm probably not always going to do butter as long as I'm not getting graded. Yeah. Like during a practical, I'm going to use like olive oil instead. So I really paleoify a lot of the things I make. Those sound really good. So uh, the real question is, do you have to wear a chef hat? Oh my gosh. My, yeah. It's, well, it's called a toque. Oh, sorry. But it's toque. literally like a, a foot and a half tall and I literally have to duck under oh like, my doorways <laughs> to get into things that it's always falling off. Um, it's not my favorite. Yeah. The uniform is probably the <laughs> it's wild. most unglamorous it's, part. I mean, I look quite masculine. It's really attractive. <laughs> Why do they do that? I guess like you have to be uniform. It's like, yeah. it's like Okay, I this is an unfair comparison, but it's militaristic. No, it is, and they literally own up to. They're like, yeah, it's militaristic. It's like modeled after it. the Get military. Yeah. yeah, God, that's intense. Mm -hmm. So, what are some of the? Maybe you can leave us with. Well, not leave, but I want you to give some people some tips that maybe like obvious things that in their daily life people are doing wrong or mm -hmm. like that you maybe learned immediately or like I know sometimes you tell me things because I don't actually know what I'm doing when I'm cooking mm -hmm. um like like for instance you tell me like that I season wrong <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, like things like like little tips like uh -huh. that maybe would help people oh uh, the number one thing is probably seasoning for mm -hmm. sure people under salt everything yeah and once you like learn how to add a lot of salt 
things start tasting so much better and you're not afraid of salt as long as you have high quality salt. Okay, so at least, even though I, mm-hmm. I do it wrong, at least I salt enough, Yeah, oh, right? you definitely salt enough. I'm, you're only I'm one salty. of the few people yeah. that can like actually salt enough and I'll actually eat it and like it. Oh my God, salt but yeah, is so good. Salt your food, people. It's Tell so much people better. about the, the CIA, like people, the teacher's views on salt. Like you've uh-huh. talked about how oh, it's yeah. like everything. When you first get there, you think all this food is so salty mm-hmm. because everyone likes so much salt. And each professor, you're like, oh my God, the, the, the taste is so salty. But then after like a month or two, you're like, oh, it's not salty. I just didn't realize my palate wasn't used to it. And now I can taste so much other flavors mm-hmm. because I'm used to the salt now and it brings out so many other flavors. So it's like their taste isn't salty. Your taste just is not like up to par yet they consider it to be more like refined palate if you absolutely should be salty yeah it should like be like you're drawing out the other Mm -hmm. flavors like you should have a lot of salt in your food yeah so that's definitely one of the things i'm like i can tell a place isn't very good or like the line cooks aren't very good if they undersalt their food because they don't know how salty it should be what about is there anything else related to seasonings seasoning i mean fats flavor everyone doesn't use enough fat i use tons of cooking fat because it adds so much flavor Mm -hmm. sauces i really love adding you know fatty sauces and stuff like that and using like anything you cook stuff in like if you're using cooking liquids do something that's like flavorful don't use water use stock stuff like that and then use that stock to like make a sauce Mm -hmm. and one of the things i like to do i like to use everything from like the kitchen I guess now I don't like throw out anything you can repurpose it make your if you eat a chicken use the bones to make like a stock or something like that it's really not that hard and then there's just so much flavor from things you make in your house versus things you buy in the store mm-hmm. that's an interesting point talk about like what happens with the food at school uh well the food like once we are done with mm-hmm. it it is sad because we throw away so so much food mm-hmm. literally at the end of the night too um you really see that happening because at nine o'clock when we're still cleaning up we have like two huge buffet tables of food we just made and they have to throw it all out and it's sad that is so sad it's it's so so much food but it's like you go one we're not really supposed to take food home even though we all do but it's like also like you only have so much food you can take home, you know, yeah. and then half the stuff I don't want to take home because it's not healthy. I wish I could give it to like, I know people. the only problem with that is it's like a safety issue because it's like culinary students, you know, and there's like liability stuff. So like, what if they didn't, and then they missed a bone in there and someone choked yeah. on a bone or like didn't do proper sanitary things you know and like cross-contaminated peanuts with something and then that person dies of a peanut allergy god yeah, it's hard scary, but it's sad oh man okay well what about um anything related to knives or like cooking pans or i don't know oh, yeah any good tips you have absolutely for- everyone needs a good <laughs> knife no one's out here. I, that's one of the things I get so frustrated with. I go home and use someone knife. Kelly like brings knives. her knife set everywhere. Oh, I have it right here, like right near me. Yeah. I can see it. It's like my baby. I have really sharp knives. I have good quality knives because especially if you cook enough, you're going to need a good knife. Like at least get a good chef knife and like a paring knife. What brand? Do you have a suggestion for brand? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you don't know how to sharpen your knives, you should probably stick with like a German knife um they're really good with 
keeping a sharpness longer, like a Wustoff or a Zwilling. Um, if you are into nicer knives, I really love a Japanese knife. Shun, I think it's pronounced, makes a really nice knife. Like a kitchen knife, um, their steel is better, uh, has a little finer of a blade, so you have much sharper like use with it. So it's really good for prep work if you're cutting a lot of onions and stuff like that. But you really have to keep your knife sharp. If you don't know how to sharpen it yourself, you should hire someone to sharpen them like once a month mm-hmm. or like every other month at least. I sharpen mine almost every week. But you really need a sharp knife. It's actually dangerous if you have a dull knife. You're more likely to cut yourself and injure yourself. And it just makes your life a whole lot easier. Can you just, can you get those on Amazon or like where can you get those? You could probably get them at like Williams Sonoma, okay. any kitchen store, mm-hmm. um, basically like any department store has them. But yeah, Williams Sonoma has like a great knife range and you can hold a knife and feel how it is in your hand. Mm-hmm. Like I like personally a seven inch chef knife just because it's a little smaller. A lot of them are eight inches and a little bulky and I like having more control over a knife. So that's... I like to go in and actually like feel it out in my hand. How often should they should people sharpen their knives? If you're like an at, a normal at home cook and say you're just doing dinners, mm-hmm. like once a month. Okay. I think. What about um, cooking pans? Um, I prefer a stainless steel pan mm-hmm. because one, it's not bad for you. If you do like Teflon, that shit's disgusting. You're gonna get cancer and die. <laughs> Um, <laughs> two, it's what everyone, no, this is not medical advice. <laughs> this is not medical advice. I just am speaking from my own thoughts. I probably made up in my speaking mind from my heart, <laughs> my very opinionated ways of Teflon, but you should be using stainless steel or like a cast iron or a ceramic. But if you're like a professional, like professionals all use stainless steel, like get an all clad pan. I have two really nice all clad pans. I have a Lake Creuset is a great brand if you're bougie and you want to bake in the Lake Creuset. Yeah, I really want to get those. Michaels and like um, Marshalls have like not Michaels. Marshalls has like good discount oh, really? pans. Yeah, you can go into Marshall Marshalls or Home Goods and they have really great like stainless steel pans. You can find good brands like um, All Clad, like I said, and like really other. Can you talk about with like stainless steel and even cast iron? Like, mm-hmm. um, I feel like there's a proper order of operations like people uh-huh. use them wrong a little bit and i know a lot of people will be like my f- my food is sticking to the bottom or like are yeah. you supposed to um wait until it reaches the heat to put the food in mm-hmm. like all of those that's a things, huge you know common error people make um home cooks make i used to do it before i like went to school you don't really know with a non-stick pan like uh stainless steel you really need to you know heat it up wait for it to heat up add your oil you have to have enough fat to coat the bottom and wait till it kind of ripples so you see it's heated up, mm. but not like smoking. If it's smoking, it's too hot. And then once it's hot enough, you add your food and then you can saute it, do whatever. And if something like fish or meat and it's not giving away, that means it's not done yet. When it releases from the pan, as long as you have enough fat, that means it's ready to be like flipped and it's formed a proper crust. Okay. So it's like, if you're flipping stuff too soon, if you're not having enough fat, maybe the temperature is not high enough, mm-hmm. um, that's all common issues. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good tips. What about mm-hmm. back to the seasoning for a second? Like, how mm-hmm. do people know if they're seasoning enough or like, are they doing it right? You know, like, one technique is a lot of people kind of like 
season their food too close like if they're doing it like an inch Mm -hmm. above their food you're just gonna get pockets of salt Mm -hmm. you need to like high and enough like sprinkle it all over on like i like loose salt i don't like like cracking salt or like a salt shaker i like i literally have a huge bowl of salt next to where i'm cooking take a handful and just sprinkle it all over Mm -hmm. and you just try as you go and if you don't want to like salt at the end you want to salt throughout the cooking and keep trying as you go um basically if you're not trying you don't know if it's gonna be salty enough and especially if you wait till the end and then it's just gonna be salt on top of cooked food the salt isn't like in the food cooking with it Uh so it won't bring out the flavor if you only salt at the end yeah i think a lot of people with all seasoning i'll see them at it like at the very end yeah and that's just gonna be like salt on top of your food mm-hmm. that's not i mean helps a little bit if it's not great i mean i i like to salt it on top oh i mean i definitely dirty, do but i mean go salt here go home right always <laughs> so okay that's helpful mm-hmm. um so now you're on you're on your externship mm-hmm. and you're working um for a meal delivery service yes i'm working for a healthy meal delivery service and so what has that experience been like like what's it like prepping for like in a meal delivery service situation it's it's really interesting because um it's not like obviously it's not like any restaurant Mm -hmm. um you we have three-day cycles where we change menus every three days and we're pumping out thousands and thousands of meals so our kitchen's really different it's very big and for high volume so we have like a walk-in oven where we can fit two whole speed racks of food in there so like thousands of walk-in food oven? like literally you can cook yourself in this yeah, oven. i, I can say, walk into I feel it like someone would throw someone in there and kill them. literally it's kind of scary but it's awesome and then so it's like do you have to wear a flame retardant suit oh my god <laughs> I feel like I'm picturing like the old Bible story where they're like going into an open fire and yeah, they live, but literally. Except we would be cooking the person. Okay, okay. that would be weird. <laughs> oh my god. Um, but yeah, so it's like we're pumping out thousands and thousands of quantities of food. So it's like our head chef has to be on top of her shit because she has to be on the numbers. The ordering numbers may change, so we have to change it. So it's like the first day of the cycle, we do prep work, like um, cutting and stuff like that. Second day, you start cooking stuff. Third day is like finishing everything. So third day is chaos because we're packing every food. And if you don't have the right quantities, then it could be like really, really bad. Like yesterday was a packing day, for example, and someone miscounted the chickens they were supposed to be producing. And we had to go back and within two hours pump out 800 quantity of chicken and it was just insane because like i don't know if people like realize how much that is Mm -hmm. that's so much we were breaking down chickens and literally just throwing them in the oven it was just like a lot how many pounds of chicken is that oh 100 like 300 pounds oh my god crazy i'm dead yeah so it's just like very high quantity you have to be so well organized and to a t and your weights have to be right and like all of this stuff and the seasonings has to be like all standard and you'd follow like certain recipes and stuff like that so it's a lot that goes into it it's very interesting it's very different compared to restaurant work where you're doing like one dish at a time and you're just catering to like one person this is like high quantity so it's a lot more at stake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do they standardize it? You know, like that's the hardest part. It's like 
you have to get people you trust and that's hard, really difficult in the food industry because high quality people is hard to come by who like know what they're doing. So it's like the people who have can be trusted the most are the ones doing the more important things like the meat and the sauces. Like if you're not that trusted, you're probably going to be on prep work, like cutting onions and stuff like that. But even that, like this past round, we were making um, like tortillas type of things and someone did it the wrong size and we had to throw out like 800 tortillas and he had to redo it just because like he wasn't doing it correctly so it's like it's a high risk because you're wasting hundreds and thousands of dollars worth of product if you get it wrong so it's like the chef has to train you well and also you just have to like know what you're doing and really care like you can tell from the people if they don't care and this is just a job for them their food lacks the flavor and like precision that goes into other people who legitimately hold themselves to a higher standard what what part of the process is your favorite and your least favorite to do like if mm-hmm. you know how you guys are different like i don't know stations jobs whatever yeah. you call them like what's your favorite and least favorite um my least favorite is some of the prep work like i really don't like cleaning some of the items like if i'm doing like lettuce tortillas and you have to clean 1500 tortilla like lettuce cups mm-hmm. it's just really time consuming you have to just use like a bucket of water and wash it. So you're going oh. through it one by one okay. and just washing them. I really like anything with a knife work. I'm really good at I speed through it. And I think it's fun because I have like the cuts down from school. Uh-huh. But obviously my favorite is cooking the meats because yeah. I mean, I love meat and it's most fun and takes technique. Anything with high technique I like the most because then like I know I can do well in it. Like any sauces, anything where you're applying heat to the food that's the most fun but meat by far is the best are you taught to sort of like overcook slightly like to be safe because i feel like Mm -hmm. they would be worried about anything slightly undercooked we just temp everything because if it's overcooked especially in a meal service delivery Mm -hmm. they're not eating the food for like two or three days so that is gonna be so dried out and my chef will get really mad like this past round someone who's cooking the roast beef overcooked it uh, and it dry was just roast beef is woof. The worst. Yeah, yeah my chef like laid into the person she was really not that pleased and so it's like if you overcook something uh like i've done chicken and have purposely just got it to the perfect temp because i'm like i'm not gonna overcook it okay yeah. it's gonna dry out especially if it's being reheated again anyway by the person at home it's like you have to be more precise with it yeah I want to address the elephant in the room surrounding um, meal delivery services Mm -hmm. in that I think many of us um, think that the portions are too small. Absolutely. Um, Can you explain a bit about why that is like that? Yeah, I always thought that too. People can understand. I understand it more now that I see the other side. Mm-hmm. because you have to think about first of all food costs of making all these products especially if it's a high quality product going into it you're paying a lot more for that product and so you're probably not going to get as much because the product is so high quality like grass-fed meat versus a standard commercial meat is going to be way more money mm-hmm. also a lot of the programs and companies work with like nutritionists who say this is the standard amount you should have per meal you should have four ounces of meat per meal you should have six ounces of vegetables and a certain amount of fat and they're working with are they working with registered dietitians a lot of these companies okay. yeah are, most of them are because that's quote what's like which is like a different good. paradigm <laughs> yeah so, so yeah. it's like it's not like you're getting all the things and a lot of companies do add-ons you can add more meat add more extra but it's like 
the standardized thing. And if you're thinking about a lot of people, they're probably under eating anyway. Mm-hmm. They don't really know. And ours, I mean, the meals company I work for definitely has enough caloric intake for like a normal probably like woman or something but mm-hmm. not enough I think in my opinion like I w- when I eat the meals I add on more stuff like mm-hmm. add avocados add more oil and stuff like that to fill you up more and just get more bulk to it but a lot of it has to do with food costs and also the nutritionist like standards of what the government says is like the right amount yeah and also i mean this is what we were talking about last night as i was saying well think about it from a business perspective like you don't want your meals to make people gain weight like if anything exactly you want them to lose weight and Mm -hmm. what's a surefire way to make them lose weight like give them a calorie deficit you know exactly so i don't know Um, Uh and then i mean they're probably more likely to buy more meals too mm -hmm. if they know they're like a certain size that may not fill them up completely and yeah, you don't want, they're not going to want to give you like all, all this fattening stuff that might make you like quote full or like gain weight. <laughs> I think it, it kind of ties in with an important discussion that I've talked about before, but might as well just say it on here. And I think people are very confused about anything that has a label on it, which is why I'm just like, stop eating things with labels mm-hmm. and they see serving size. And so they think that means that's how much I'm supposed to eat. Yeah, no. That's just so that they can give, like, if they have to give the calories and the yeah, macro bake down, mm-hmm. it's, like, per serving. That's not saying one serving. Like, I've no. seen people, people have told me this with, like, canned fish. They're like, well, it says two ounces is a serving, so I only eat two ounces. And I'm like... Absolutely not. It's not saying two ounces is your serving. No, they're it's literally saying, just doing that because like, government is yeah, making them label like, stuff. Yeah, because you have to break down what the like the macros are and what's in it. It's not saying like this is how much you should eat. It's just like if you need the macros. And it's also like they're doing these small servings because mm-hmm. we've been trained to think anything high calorie or high amount of fat mm-hmm. is not good for us. So if you see it one serving is the whole thing mm-hmm. and it's like, 700 calories Mm -hmm. you're gonna not eat it because you're like holy shit that's so much yeah and that's gonna scare you away from it so they're gonna do small portions so it looks more appealing like something that looks like 300 calories looks a lot better Mm -hmm. to the eye than something that's 800 calories exactly even though you should be eating the 800 calories well that's where people go wrong when they look at things like crackers and yeah. and chips and cookies because they'll look mm-hmm. they'll be like oh it's only 80 calories and it's like oh and a serving size is uh one chip how yeah. many of you are having um, one chip five chips yeah <laughs> no like i'm eating the whole bag of chips yeah, thank like, you so i just think yeah people need to just because something is a s- indicated a serving size it doesn't mean it's your portion size. absolutely not and it's usually far too small yeah let's be honest <sighs> yeah. um but so okay so overall do you like um uh, the uh, the restaurant environment more or the i'm really liking the delivery right now the restaurant environment i don't know if it's for me Mm -hmm. first of all you know all the stereotypes of the hours being horrible it's true um you don't have as much like control and you can't be as creative i think because it's like your restaurant unless you're the head chef you're not making the dishes and it's just like a constant go, 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 go. So you always have to be on with the meal service delivery. I have nicer hours. I work more of like a eight to five type of job. Um, I It's more chill, laid back. I get breaks. My The environment's nice because you're not in a hostile environment. My coworkers are nice. 
I mean, packing day is hard because you're, it's always, it's pretty go, go, go. So you still get some of the adrenaline, but it's not enough where you're crazy stressed and like sweating and like running around with the chicken with your head cut off. Mm-hmm. Can, can you share, um, you don't have to if you don't want to, but mm-hmm. I, I would be curious if you're willing to share like what happened when you were at work, at work and they made that comment about like your blog. Oh like, Yeah. That's another thing with like the restaurant industry. I was working at a restaurant when I was at school and I don't know how, but one of my coworkers found out I have like a health blog and like recipe blog and in that, in the food industry, that's like a huge, like people think that's like kind of, they look down upon it, I guess. And that's why I, I don't really tell a lot of people in that industry just because they think it's like not a great like thing to be aspiring to do because they're like if you're a cook you should be in a restaurant and you should be a michelin star cook and your talent's gonna be proven that way and your talent's gonna be proven by the you know your accolades and stuff like that and it's very like hostile like machoism and stuff like that so i got a lot of shit on for having you know uh, they were always come and make jokes about my blog and this and that but at the same time, it's like they don't have they're just working on the line. Like, what are they doing? You know, mm-hmm. I have this where I'm like making content and like creating cool recipes and stuff like that. And something I'm passionate about. And I think that's where the food industry is going. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people who have the stigma around that are stuck in the past where they're like, oh, we just want to be Michelin star cooks and order people around and be mean <laughs> in restaurants and stuff like that. So it's like they're not thinking about all the other aspects of a whole career. Mm-hmm. They're just thinking about how good they are, you know, on the line over over a stove. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's very reminiscent of, like, what we were talking about earlier, how people have this idea in their heads of, like, you know, what's good and respectable and what will get results is mm-hmm. I go to high school, I do well, I graduate, I go to college, Absolutely. I get a business degree, I work in a business, and then, but what happens? We look around at all of our friends and they all hate their jobs who went the traditional route. Mm-hmm. Um versus it's kind of the same thing with culinary school like people have like this idea in their heads of what the proper the proper mm-hmm. steps are to reach success and anyone who goes against the status quo is a threat to that exactly or the idea that, w- that they're doing the best in like their paradigm and if somebody else is doing something outside of that paradigm they don't even want to fathom the idea that they could do something better right because no, yeah you don't like you and, can't mess up the status quo. Yeah, you can, and people don't. People are afraid to do things outside of the status quo, and people just like I don't know. You're not going to get better results unless you make a bigger change. You mm-hmm. know, like you can. There's a cap on your success in that in that way of doing things versus exactly when you do your when you pave your own path. There aren't limits to what no. you can do. It's and just you have yourself. no idea what you can get into mm-hmm. and the new worlds you can break into, like all these people who like judge upon someone who may have like a recipe site or blog or an Instagram, all they're going to do is work in the restaurant their whole lives. And what are they going to be remembered for? Mm-hmm. Probably nothing. Cause they're going to not be making their own restaurants. Yeah. They're just going to be slowly working their way up. And I'm like, I don't want to live like that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be, you know, someone else's just employee my whole life. I want to do my own thing and inspire others 
Meanwhile, they're, you know, just making other people's recipes because they're following the status quo and slowly just making their way up because that's what you're supposed to do. And so when someone comes along, like you said, who threatens that, Mm -hmm. it's intimidating, especially when you see that they're succeeding and doing things that are outside of the box for someone their age. Mm -hmm. So do you just not tell anyone about it or like, I don't know, what do you do if someone kind of brings it up or questions? I'm kind of like, yeah, I tell them about it if they find out. Um. I don't really care as much with my, like, certain, like, uh, with, like, the meal service delivery program. They like stuff like that because Mm -hmm. they're more innovative. But, like, if you're working for a typical restaurant, and frankly, if my my boss is a male Mm -hmm, who is an elder male. If you're an older man. They are less accepting of that. They think that's so, like, woo-woo and, like, oh, that's a fun little hobby you have. And I'm like, no, it's not a hobby. Meanwhile, there are people doing that hobby who are making way more more money than you. And they control their own schedules and stuff like that and have more, like, fun doing Mm -hmm. what they're doing. So it just depends on the situation. I think my whole class and most of school knows I have it. They, I mean, they all follow, like, my Instagram. They know mm-hmm. I'm, like, quirky and, I, like, do my own thing. So they're, like, they've accepted it, especially, like, the younger ones are, like, yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. But a lot of, like, the older ones are kind of, like, what? It's a generation gap with a it lot is. of things. Even just this whole, like, in general, not even just the culinary world, like, entrepreneurship generation, techie oh, generation yeah. versus, like, our parents or anyone who's older. And I'm, like, you just don't get it and you're not going Mm -hmm. to like i think it's a hobby mm -hmm. you know like you and your stuff they're like oh how's your like health wellness blog it's just like it's not a hobby it's a career and i'm like i don't know when it like i'm making way more money than you and i'm like way more happy (laughs) than you and your corporate job or like you following your normal ways of being a restaurant line chef like okay you keep doing you i'm gonna keep doing me thank you it's an interesting i think it's threatening it people. Is. And also this resentment towards like, I, I paid all this money. I put in all, all this hard work all these years. Mm-hmm. Like I paid my dues and they want to see everyone else. They want to see everyone else the do same way the they same did. thing. Yeah. It's like hazing, like yeah. in frats, you know, stuff it like is. that. It's like they have to go through that shit because I mm-hmm. went through it. Yeah. And if they're doing something different, no, 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 that's not okay. And you can't do that because it's not legitimate. They want to like make it illegitimate just mm-hmm. because they didn't go through that, yeah. and it's threatening to them and their ego. Yeah. Well, you know what I have to say? Sucks to suck. Yeah. <laughs> Epic. This is the new generation. Like, I don't know. Go with it. Or, it's going to be interesting. People, yeah. like, our age need to... You know, I was just talking to one of my friends who is unhappy um, with her job, and she was just, like, mm-hmm. asking me more about mine, and she's, like, like uh, trying to understand how different it can be when you work for yourself or when you don't go the traditional route, and she's, like... I think I'm doing it wrong. She's like, yeah. I'm learning about this. And she's like, why do people think that this path, this more traditional path is like the way to go? I'm like, because they don't want to open their minds to any other way. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we live in a world where we can make anything a job. You yeah. Know? And most people are just too scared to take that opportunity. And it's easier to do a path that's mm-hmm. already been created, you know? And so people are too worried to go on like the unbeaten path, but they don't realize they're going to be a whole lot happier doing that and doing what something that they're passionate about versus following what like society tells them they should do. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's a, it's a new world. We'll have to do check-ins. We'll see how things go. Absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing all the juicy deets. Thank you for having me. CIA. If anyone asks, Kelly's in the CIA. Yes. (laughs) Top secret. (laughs) She's a secret agent. Kelly, why don't you tell 
Well, also, if you guys mm-hmm. don't know Kelly, but your favorite, what's your favorite part of your job? My favorite part of my job? Yeah. I mean, I get to eat all the time. Who what wouldn't? about what about working for me? Oh, that job <laughs> is amazing. I get to hang out with my favorite person on earth all the time. Oh my God. I, I don't even think of it like a job because it's not a job because it's fun. Yeah. You know, when I, I think of a job, I'm like, oh, I'm going to work all day. Yeah. But no, I get to like talk to you and do like, your business stuff with you. So, duh, it's my favorite. Yeah, that's the best part, right? Mm-hmm. Just shout out to me. I'm the best boss. Best boss. <laughs> boss bitch. <laughs> oh, God. All right, cool. Well, Kelly, tell everyone where they can find more from you. Yeah, so I'm on my Instagram a lot. It's at Kelly's Clean Kitchen. I also have a recipe site called Kelly's Clean Kitchen. Pretty straightforward. So, yeah, that's where you can check me out the most. I'm usually ranting on my stories and stuff like that. All right. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Kelly. Make sure you reach out to her on Instagram and let her know what you thought of the episode. You can find her at Kelly's Clean Kitchen and you can go to her website, kellyscleankitchen.com to find all of her delicious, healthy paleo recipes. If you enjoyed this show, make sure you share it on social media. It really helps me get the word out about the podcast. And I also would really appreciate a rating and a review on iTunes that seriously means the world to me. It only takes a second and helps me out a lot. Lastly, if you are not in our Facebook group, Wellness Wellness Podcast Tribe, make sure you join. It's a great place to chat with other people who listen to the podcast and submit questions but you can also submit questions on my website christinaricewellness.com topics guest ideas questions for q a whatever you want head on over there and submit them on my podcast page i hope you have an amazing rest of your day do something nice for yourself and i will talk to you again next time bye